Welcome to the Critical Conversations podcast, hosted by two critical care nurses who are doing things differently. We're here to discuss our healthcare system, why preventative health is so important to us, and what you can do about it. What if I told you, you had the power to change the trajectory of your life? Would you do it? Welcome back. This is Critical Conversations podcast, episode nine. This is Bree. And this is Laura. Hey guys, we kind of cut things short at the end of last week's episode. Uh, We dove into the microbiome, what it is, what some of the things are that have potentially disrupted the balance in our bodies over our lifetime. Um, And at the end of the episode, Laura started talking about the things that we can start to avoid in our lives and what we can start to do about it. And we cut it short because we wanted to be able to dedicate an entire episode to causes and solutions. So we are going to focus in this week on what we can do about it and what things we have found in our own personal research and our own personal lives that are simple lifestyle changes that we can do on a daily basis to really benefit our bodies and the symbiotic relationship of the microbiome, the bacteria living in, in, on our own cells. So I'm going to pass it back over to Laura and we are just going to kind of like recap on what the conditions are and what symptoms you might be having that might be showing you that you are having issues with your digestive system and maybe your your microbiome is out of balance and you weren't really aware of it previously. So take it away. All right. I know last um, episode we were discussing in-depth antibiotics um, and a few other things that actually cause your microbiome to go get thrown off. But what symptoms would you have to know that your microbiome isn't working quite right or maybe um, is just off? Maybe you have leaky gut and you don't know about it. So one of the first things, and we were discussing this before we actually got on here, um, and we're discussing about how nobody really ever discusses this, but your bowel movements and what they should look like, what is normal, and not just what is normal for you. While that's very important to know um, all the time because you are an individual and you're different than everybody else, there are certain things that have certain standards and really should be acknowledged. Those standards need to be acknowledged. And one of those things is having bowel movements. And what is normal and healthy is to have between one to three bowel movements per day. Okay. Normal bowel movements. You want to define normal for us? (laughs) Well, I'm just saying you shouldn't be having like diarrhea or loose stools or anything like that. Like it should just be a normal formed bowel movement. Um, One to three kind of sounds like a lot and it might sound like a lot to most people. But if you're having more than that, then it's most likely like a diarrhea soft stool situation um less than that it's considered constipation and we are just kind of diving right into that because like laura said like nobody talks about it it's just our standard societal norm that we go into the bathroom and close the door and it's not really part of the conversation and a lot of people are suffering from digestive issues that aren't being talked about because it's not normal to really talk about it with your family and friends Exactly. So, um, like Bree said, it should be formed, meaning that everything should stick together. So, if you're having like little um, like pellets, that's not normal. If it's loose, that's not normal. 
Not to say that those things don't happen on occasion, depending on if you're dehydrated or if you're sick. Obviously, those are outside of the outside of what we're talking about the normal. So what's your normal is how often you go per day or per week. Sometimes we'll get I'll have a patient that's like, "No, my normal is I only go once a week." Right. And that's actually not normal. That's actually very unhealthy and that's a big sign, "Hey, there's something going on." And the longer you keep stool in your gut, it, it, it adds up to problems. It adds up to... Right. You can absorb things that you ne- necessarily shouldn't be absorbing. If you right. are eating a toxic diet and there's a lot of chemicals and things in your food, that it increases your chances and ability to absorb those things. And it also the fermentation and like the gases that are released in the byproducts can all be detrimental long-term. If, that, if you're truly having a bowel movement only once a week, you need to look into that that's it's not enough and your body's not processing and digesting and excreting what it should properly in the right amount of time i know that it's gonna seem like we're spending a lot of time about this but we keep <laughs> talking about it. i'm gonna keep talking about it because i think it's that important especially when you're talking about the gut and the microbiome but even i would say i know that everyone's probably like oh no my gosh i go more than once a week but even if you're going only every other day unless you're only eating every other day like that's a problem. Yeah. And no one's eating every other day. Yeah. So I would say if you're not going at least once a day, you need to check that out. Whether yeah. you're not drinking enough water or you're not eating enough fiber, there's a few things that we can go into. And we probably could make an entire episode on just your poop <laughs> to be completely bleak. Like, I mean, again, it sounds like we really are blunt. at this point. <laughs> um, but this is actually probably the biggest discussion to know what's going on in your gut is to know what's going on with your stool yeah so whether it looks a certain color it should it shouldn't be pale it shouldn't be black like different colors mean different things so when i say that you should be knowing your bowel movements you should know like what they look like normally too yeah um Black stool is indicative of certain things. Different colors mean certain things. And I'm not going to go again into that depth in depth right now. But take a moment. Think about last time you had a bowel movement. Think about all of that stuff. How long did it take you to get it out? Are you constipated? Things like that. Because it really does play into how your body is actually digesting that food and how well it's able to excrete it. Likewise, if you're having soft stool more than three times a day, or even if you're having like, like liquid to soft stool, that's a, that could say that there's a malabsorption issue too. Right. That's what I was going to like on the flip side of constipation, the diarrhea side of things, which was what I was experiencing for almost a year when I was dealing with my food sensitivities and my body was just really rejecting gluten and some of the other foods it was being exposed to. That was causing in return deficiencies in that thing's because things were moving through my body so quickly, I was not able to absorb properly. And not only are you not able to absorb because things are moving fast, but the lining of your digestive tract is also being severely irritated and probably inflamed, leading to more poor absorption and other issues long-term. Yep. Yeah, and then the smell, that sounds ridiculous too. You're like, oh, poop is smelly. But there's certain, I mean... It, yeah, smell is really it, indicative of It's a lot super of important to yeah. know these norms. Yeah. And if you don't know your norms, you should dive into that personally and start asking yourself those questions. There's plenty of websites you can go to. It's not a bad thing to Google, like, <laughs> what should your poop look like? There's plenty <laughs> of websites that will help you with that. Um, and you don't actually have to, like, sit down and talk to your family about it. If that makes you feel uncomfortable to know anybody else's or anybody know yours, 
that is totally fine. Yeah. But this is one of the biggest indicators of your gut health, period. Right. And if you're thinking, like, I think I'm normal. I'm not really sure. I've never given up much thought. Like, take a week and pay attention to it and, like, write it down. If Or pay attention to actually making sure you are having bowel movements on a regular daily basis. And if you're become aware that it's a little bit more abnormal. We're going to talk a little bit more in this episode about the things that you can do to try and increase the health of your microbiome. But obviously, if those small changes aren't working and the symptoms are getting worse or more severe, we highly recommend you get that evaluated, get it looked into, and pursue medical help from a practitioner in one way or the other. Yeah. So moving on from the very obvious being your stool, um, let's move on to like the little less obvious, but it has still has obviously to do yeah. with your gut. Different conditions your, that could be significant of problems with your digestive tract. So your skin health has a lot to do with it. So um, obscure kind of rashes, yep. really dry skin. Eczema, um, psoriasis. Yeah, dry scalp even. Not that these all are specifically like they're the only thing that has to do with your gut. Other things can be going awry, but... We're going to start with your gut and the microbiome, if it's off, could be leading to some of these symptoms. Your mood could be off. And that could be your your uh, microbiome. Your microbiome is actually directly linked to mental health. So if you're taking stuff for like pills and stuff for your, for your mental health, and a lot of people are, mental health is a big conversation that's actually not talked about either enough, in my opinion, in general. And it's actually... I think it's like a taboo subject, but I think a lot of people are struggling with things and not to blame everything in your gut, but it could very well be linked to it. And if you haven't taken time to study that, maybe it's something that you could look into that could possibly help you um, in that arena. And then more than mental health, like we were discussing actually with Brie, you were mentioning it in the last episode was if you have like shakes, if you have MS, if you have neuro issues, right, those could be directly linked to your gut too. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that it's the poor digestion directly causing that. It's the cascade of things that happen due to nutrient deficiencies and inflammation in your body and poor signals being sent from your nerves because there's like the hormones are out of whack like you know it's it's the cascade of everything so that right and just we're like just the, going back to the gut as like the source of the the beginning of the problems right and just like the neuro stuff and just like the cascade like Bray was just saying is that if if the gut is inflamed and it's sensing inflammation and it's off so it's saying hey i'm inflamed something's wrong all right if the gut is off, it can lead to a cascade of events that lead to lots of different things. MS is just one of them. You have rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. You have fibromyalgia. You have a lot, like a whole body of autoimmune diseases um, that it can bump into and kind of turn on. Your butt, your butt, your gut. <laughs> Guys, that's amazing. Um, your gut is able to turn things on and off. So if you are predisposed to a certain kind of autoimmune disease based on your genetics, your gut is able to turn things on for that autoimmune disease and kind of basically light a fire in your body that says, this is what's going on. I'm inflamed. I'm having this going on. And then it, it presents itself in an autoimmune disease. So it can present itself in the ones we discussed, but also in like Crohn's, IBS. IBS is a general catch-all for there's something wrong with your gut. You have inflammation, but isn't necessarily 
something that they can nail down as um, like Crohn's or colitis. And the list goes on. There's like, there's lupus. There's, I mean, I could sit here all day and just name autoimmune diseases. Right. But the and they're diet, all connected. Yeah. Well, they, they really are in how they present. And I think that maybe a few episodes ago we were discussing which there's a few podcasts that actually the scientists, I am not I am a baby scientist of anything. <laughs> um, they're very much smarter people who go into, into depth about how that cascade works. Right. And we can link up some of those things for you on our show notes. Yeah, we absolutely will. We'll include all the so links to the resources more. that we are referencing and things that we use personally just as go-to when we're looking for information. Um, just as a little side note and kind of like fun fact of the day, uh, before we started recording this episode, Laura and I were kind of talking about how it's so interesting to us how medicine seems to have advanced so much in certain ways, but yet kind of we're going full circle and just now starting to look into the power of the microbiome and the bacteria in our systems. And Hippocrates, who is known as the father of medicine, um, from the 400, I think it was 460 BC is when he was born. He's known for saying, let food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food, as well as a more recent quote that I came across that he's known for saying that all disease begins in the gut. So they were aware of these things (laughs) centuries ago. He had seen the link, yeah. And yet we're just now kind of coming full circle and science is really starting to dig into this only within, from my awareness, within maybe the last decade, but it's only really beginning to become mainstream recently. Yeah. So yeah, I just thought it was really interesting that like where was that disconnect and like what happened in, in the middle of all of that that we lost sight of that. But the good thing is, is we are now becoming aware of it and we see what poor diet and lifestyle choices have caused. So let's backtrack. Let's let's look into the things that you might have been exposed to from childhood to now and things that you might be doing on a daily basis that could be disrupting your microbiome on a daily basis and causing that shift within your body and that chronic inflammation and the poor sleep and the brain fog and the fatigue and different things you might think are normal but technically aren't normal they've just become your normal because you haven't felt any differently for years possibly so we want to kind of help you reset that and regain control of it so yeah laura i know we did a whole episode last week and we focused a lot on antibiotics as far as one of the main causes of microbiome disrupt another one that I am acutely aware of just because it's kind of what started me getting interested in food was the pesticides on our food let's just do a quick list and then we can kind of circle back what are a couple other things that you're aware of that are causing daily disrupts of our microbiome and our environment I think you just mentioned it I believe that we actually discussed it in the last podcast too um, is stress. Yeah, we. I think and, we did touch on that too. Yeah, and stress is major. And stress is actually not – and I, was, I ran into a good friend of mine at the grocery store the other day, and she had just seen a functional medicine doctor and gotten all of her information back. And um, she actually had a similar cortisol level as mine, and she's a nurse too. And, like, we were just discussing stressors that you don't think of stre- as stress. 
because they're just constant and they're in everyone's life yeah and how we just need to be a little bit more mindful of the fact that just because we don't perceive something as stress it doesn't mean our body's not perceiving it as stress right and that includes the food that we put in our body but so stress is one of those things and stress is a very big like umbrella topic because lots of things fall under stress Yeah, I think a lot of people think of stress as like they feel stressed out, they're feeling overwhelmed or they're feeling anxious, but stress can be as simple as you're constantly waking up after only getting five hours of sleep. That's stressful on the body. That's not allowing your body to recharge. That's Um, a really good example. Yeah, or like you said, food, if you're constantly putting things in your body that you're sensitive to or that are just poor quality foods in your body long term that's causing a lot of stress on your system to constantly filter out and balance the nutrients in your body you know you gotta we have to be aware of helping our bodies and not constantly like causing harm and not allowing it to regenerate so i think that's a great example yeah i'm actually going to speak to that point real quick yeah because one of the things that when we figured out my cortisol levels were really high and one of the things that she wants me to do my my practitioner wants me to do and I hadn't done it yet because I, it wasn't the right time for me and I knew I wouldn't be able to do it successfully because I was sick at the time but an elimination diet and she thinks that maybe there's another thing that's in my diet that I'm unaware of but my yeah. body doesn't isn't reacting well to and is sensing a stress and it may not be the case but we're ruling things out which is why I'm going to do an elimination diet I'm only doing she only wants me to do gluten and dairy take those out for three weeks and then I can add them back in just to see if that could possibly be something that's going on in my body that I wasn't aware of because it's not, I'm not reacting. I'm not, obviously I'm not having any huge reaction. Yeah. You don't have like the external symptoms that like that I could see visibly that I knew were happening, but there's a chance that when you take those things out of your diet, you might suddenly realize you feel better and you didn't even realize that was possible, but right. And that's what you're talking about with, like, stress that you're unaware of with that comes from food. Right. I think that's a great example. Constant stressors that's related to food are things that we will actually go over that you, we know causes stress and we know causes inflammation in the body. And that's for everybody. That's not, like, a personalized thing. There are certain ingredients and certain food products that actually do cause stress to the body. And that's stress whether it's perceived by you as stress or not it is stress to the body and so your body is reacting to that and negatively yeah i think let's just dive into that a little bit more we're on it let's just talk about what that might be like All right. i think we've talked about this before we keep saying the term eat real food but to a lot of people they might not understand fully what that means in depth because the food they've been eating forever seems real to them it seems like you know it's part of their routine so what are what are some things that when you started becoming aware of food that you started kind of cleaning up and taking out of your diet i agree with your i'm going to just pack track to your statement because i think that that is where people get really confused because they're like i can i can hold it like i'm holding this food how is it not real Right. It's a whole bottle of canola oil. Like, why is this not real? Oil? Like, why is this not real? It's from a plant. Mm-hmm. How is this not real food? So 
if it has been refined, like if it has had the bejeez refined out of it, there are certain foods that are better for you to eat than others. Obviously, yeah. that's just a standard. And we Highly know that. processed, a like gone through multiple factory belts and machines to become a packaged food on a shelf, I think, is it when, well, when you before, say refined. Yeah, but even before that, like even at, like whole real foods, there are certain foods them, themselves that are better for your body than other yeah, real whole foods. Yeah, of course. But even in the, so that's a one, one scale. And then even within that scale, um, if you zoom in a little bit more and you're like add in all the refined foods, then there's obviously like a much different scale. So when we say real food, we want it as unprocessed as possible. And when I say that, there's certain things like cashews. I don't know if many people know this, but cashews you actually have to have boiled otherwise they're poisonous to you so obviously like within a normal limit that is healthy to a person so and the ones you're buying in the store have already been boiled for you you don't have to reboil the yeah ones they're you're not going to sell you store. poisonous <laughs> i just want to clarify at this that. point you never know but yes you're right they're all they're all edible and they will not kill you if you buy them at the yeah. grocery store that being said there are oil like the things that have been refined so anything white so white sugar white flour those have been super refined Mm -hmm. canola oil very canola oil if you have that in your pantry go check your vegetable oil if you have canola oil soybean oil yeah soybean oil sunflower oil most processed vegetable oils pretty much corn oil like all those things that had to be highly peanut oil Get throw them in the trash can. Yeah, just just get, get rid, rid of, of them. them. Yeah, there's, there's actually no redemption for them. Like, there's not. I don't want to be like. There's certain things that I, I understand, and I'm like, fine, just finish using them because yeah. you have them, and I understand it's wasting wasteful to throw away products. But these certain things are like are poison to your body, and you should throw them away. They're causing so much inflammation, and especially when you're cooking them at high heat, it causes even more inflammation. And a lot of people don't realize they're being exposed to canola oil and soybean oil so regularly from eating out at restaurants. Some of it's unavoidable. So if you have the power to avoid it in your own house, get rid of it. Yes, and that's what I mean. That's really what I meant. If it's at your house and you have the power to get rid of it, get rid of it. There's, unfortunately, it's in most products. Yeah. If you look in like the back of your hummus, it's in your hummus. If you buy a local grocery store hummus, like most hummus is actually made with oils that I would never promote. Right. I try to avoid myself. That being said, you don't need to go get crazy about it unless you want to. Like. I would just say in your own environment, try to limit those things as much as possible. And if you have them, throw them out. Yeah. And I'm, we're going to keep going with the things that you should not have in your diet. And then we can go back and address the ones that you should. Yeah. Make, we'll end this really episode. good for your diet. Yeah. But anything white. So any refined sugar, refined flours, refined oils, just they're not, they're not useful. They're not. They're promoting inflammation within your body. So anytime you consume them, they're actually promoting inflammation. Yeah. So when you say those foods, like a lot of people aren't necessarily, like they do buy the oils to cook with, but also take a look at the packaged foods that you're buying, whether it's processed cereals, breads, cookies, different things that are long lists of refined flours and oils. Like it's... Those are the packaged processed foods that are inflammatory to our bodies, that there's much better options that are still packaged foods that are just made with much simpler, cleaner ingredients to try and start becoming aware of and alternating because the 
daily consumption of those foods is where the inflammation is coming from and the irritation in your gut. Yeah. And then I would say, by and large, if it has to be microwaved, you shouldn't eat it. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I mean, generally speaking. And then if you can find it at a gas station, you probably shouldn't eat it. Yep. Gosh, I, I can't imagine. And if you see it on a commercial past 10 time. o'clock at night, you probably shouldn't eat it. Like, the, <laughs> Pretty much if you see speaking, a commercial for it ever, you probably shouldn't eat it. I would agree it. with that, too. <laughs> I would actually agree with that. That's the food products that have the most money and profit behind them that are usually the worst for you. Yeah. They're not in it for the health. Like, they're not like, yeah, we're making this healthy. They take advantage of the time of day that you are feeling most hungry. And that's why I say after 10 o'clock. If you notice after 10 o'clock at night, if you're up that late, which we are typically, which isn't, we'll speak to that at later. But yeah, they, they, I've noticed that they are, the, the quality of things go down the drain. Like, it is bad. But Anyway, so lots of foods can promote right. inflammation in your body. Um, and then something else that promotes a lot of inflammation is um, actually your sugar intake. Yeah, that's huge. And that's not just inflammation. The sugar is either going to feed the good bacteria or the bad bacteria. And most of the time, it's feeding the bad bacteria and causing well, a complete yeah. imbalance in which ones are thriving in your digestive tract and the messages that are being sent to the rest of your body. Yeah, it also sends it. I mean, we can probably do an entire episode just on sugar too. But I think that's coming up soon, most likely. <laughs> that's my second favorite topic yep. to gut health. I love talking about sugar because it. I don't want to give sugar a bad rap, but it needs to. It needs its place. Yeah, we need like, to we need to look at it. And we need like to address be the fact of the sugar you're consuming and the amounts that you're consuming because it's and plain. the kind of that you're yeah. consuming. Yeah, and sugar plays matters. a huge role not only in inflammation but in that in the mental health that you were talking about before, the brain fog, the fatigue, the mood disorders, the sugar highs and lows are a true thing. And a lot of children are being diagnosed with like ADHD and attention problems, but their sugar intake is through the roof as well. And it's like, which one should you truly address first? And if you could maybe find balance in that with the sugar, changing the sugar levels. Yeah, our school, I mean, we send kids to school and to eat real food and I mean, they don't eat real food. We don't send them to school to eat real food. I didn't mean to say that. But we (laughs) send them to school, and they're supposed to be getting helped. They're supposed to be getting educated, and they're supposed to be healthy there, right? And we are not – we, the adults, have not created an environment for them that that is possible. I mean, we could say the same thing about adults going to work in the break rooms and the large amounts of coffee and the donuts and the treats. It's similar. Adults – children – are at the mercy of adults. Of course. And I don't feel, I agree with you, but I don't feel as strongly about, like I feel like it's what we've done to our children is embarrassing and like we should be ashamed as a group, as the people who are making, like the lawmakers, we should be doing better. Yeah, of course. Because they don't get to choose. That is whatever we put on them yeah is, what is, we make uh, to available us. to them is is the adult responsibility yeah pizza sauce isn't a vegetable so um <laughs> it makes me angry that that was considered a vegetable and there's sugar in pizza sauce too so it makes, I mean, me, makes me really angry yeah. so we won't talk about that anymore but um yeah so all those things are things that promote inflammation and are actually perceived as stress to the body and 
can disrupt your microbiome. And if you're exposed to it on a daily basis, that's just tenfold. You know, every now and then it's going to cause a little stress, but the body can compensate, but it gives up and is unable to compensate when it's a long-term exposure. Right. And then um, most of the time, if you're filling your plates with that kind of food, you're not getting what you need. Otherwise, you're not getting the nutrients that your microbiome actually needs to thrive. So it puts extra, it's like another fold of what's wrong with this picture. Yeah. So the things that we really should be promoting, besides obviously we just like to say you eat real food, but lots of vegetables, that's what you could, that's what we consider as like a prebiotic, a prebiotic it's being sold to you now in pill form. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Which is stupid. just like fiber pretty much, packaged and dehydrated and taken away from right. the food ingredients that it was originally in. So we want you to eat that fiber and get the nutrients um, from the plants that you would be eating for your prebiotic. So lots of vegetables, lots of green leafies. Those things not only are going to help you create normal stool – Again, going back to the poop, <laughs> but it's going to feed the good bacteria while giving you the micronutrients that you otherwise wouldn't get from the highly processed food. Right. Highly fo- processed food does not feed your cells. It doesn't make you feel full and you want more and more of it because your cells aren't being fed. So it's just a, everything's a cascade. Everything kind of is working in harmony or disharmony in your body depending on what you're doing yep um it kind of all runs together and so when we try to have these different topics and conversations we end we always end up discussing real food again because it's it really is that important it really is the starting point to either disease or or ease like you're going to either be in balance or out of balance and well i mean if you think about it if you're eating three times a day every day of your life 365 days a year like food is the thing that we are exposed to the most and it's also the thing we have the most control over with the choices we make so I mean those are a lot of exposures for over a long period of time and it's the convenience factor of the process package stuff that has made it easier to grab things on the go that we've gotten away from the real food and making those choices intuitive like we talked about before it's now we have to kind of understand and educate ourselves on why it's important to eat those foods again so that it we're more feel more motivated and and inspired to do so so real quick before i go on to what to eat i want to say right now i know there are some people out there that do not have the things that we're about to discuss available to them all the time right okay I want to respect that and understand that I know that and Brie knows that. And we wish that there were no such thing as food deserts. And there are. Yeah. And sad. there are certain places that maybe you, the listeners listening, and you're like, I don't even have that available to me. Or maybe at a point that you're like, I don't feel like I have the finances to do it. Here's the deal. We know that you're out there. We know that you exist. We understand that this is a thing. We are still going to tell you about the different things that we know will help. And at any given moment, at any point in your life, um, there are going to be people who can do these things and there are going to be people who can't do all of these things. And I'd say do what you can with what you have yeah. to make the best of it. Yeah, that's well said. No matter where you are. And I, and again, I used to be a college student. There were weeks that I actually couldn't really eat every meal because I didn't have the money to. 
And I see you. I, I know that there are people out there who are still struggling with this, who have a family, want to do the best for them. And they're like, I can't do all of these things. You don't have to do all of them. Just knowing how to, knowing this information is power. Um, and it helps you make the best decision with what you have. Yeah. So going on from that, Brie, what are a few things that you would say, okay, we, we told them what they shouldn't be eating, but what do you think you could be eating more of or be aware to make better choices? Do you want to do that or do you want to talk about a few more other exposures that are happening in our lives and then we can go back to all the solutions? It sounds like you would like to talk about more. <laughs> that wasn't a question. That was a t- comment. Tell me more. That was a rhetorical question. Um, <laughs> there's just a few other things. I mean, food is absolutely, it's huge. It's the biggest problem, and it's also the biggest solution in both of our eyes. Um, Agreed. It's why we keep cycling every conversation back to it. But as far as microbiome imbalance and thing, other things that you're exposed to, I just want to touch on these just Bring them into your awareness. Cleaning products, antibacterial soaps, laundry detergents that have bleach in them, and different things that are in your house chemical-wise, such as perfumes, body products, things that are either absorbing into your skin or that you're inhaling through the air. So you spray body spray, air fresheners, perfumes, different things in the air that you inhale. That can disrupt the balance of hormones and bacteria in your body as well. So... I think it was a year or two ago, triclosan was banned. I want to say it was only a year ago. It might have been a little longer. But triclosan is an antibiotic, an antibiotic solution that was common in almost every household product from the dish soap, the hand soap, your body wash. It was in almost everything. That has since been taken out of our products and our houses that we can purchase on the shelves only within the last year. So on a regular basis, you were being exposed, if you weren't taking antibiotics because you were sick, you were being exposed to antibacterial solutions regularly, and you might not have even known it. So Ben and I, in our house, I want to say I found out about like the damages of triclosan and other antibacterial solutions and body products that I started avoiding like five years ago. And I was most concerned about avoiding that in the hand soaps like by my sink when I was dealing with raw meat Mm -hmm. and different things. I'm like, we're going to get sick. Like I'm I'm washing my hands with just soap here. Five years and there have been no issues with that. It truly was just something that we thought we needed, but we're now learning it's not necessary in our day-to-day lives. So being aware of the chemicals that are in our products are huge. That's not a go throw everything out in your house type of solution because all those things are individually expensive, but it's a start Mm -hmm. looking at what you're buying and try and start buying cleaner products. They have a lot of household cleaning products that are made with vinegar that have its own antibacterial ability, but it doesn't kill off everything and it allows a a healthy microbiome to still thrive. Was that clear? Do you want to add to that? No, I think that was actually really good. I completely, when I was on my food rampage, I completely forgot about that topic. But yeah, I think that's a really good one. I agree with don't throw out everything at once. I mean, when I have to restock, I'm always surprised at how expensive household products are. So I feel you guys, if you're like, my God, I don't know. But I would say the kitchen ones I'd start first with um, because your food's exposed to them. Again, back with the food. But like trying to... um, like take it out of environments that could put it into your microbiome first um, or most likely to I should say 
Yeah, I think that was actually very well covered. If you are a nurse or a person who works in healthcare, you're probably exposed to like wipes and stuff all the time. Make sure you're covering your hands with gloves and stuff when you're using those. You should be doing that anyway. But if you're not, oh yeah, it's you absolutely just, should. I'm just reminding you to. That's I won't go into that, but it's absolutely necessary to yeah. make sure that you're covered. But likewise, in environments like a hospital, you're actually exposed to a lot of other things. You're exposed to C. diff. You're exposed to people who are super sick, and those actually can affect your microbiome as well. I'm not saying like run out and be freaked out, but that's that is part of the exposure environmental depends on where you work and some people are probably more susceptible than others depending on where you work on big changes to their microbiome. That actually was the reason why I got inspired by the products and stuff I was using in my house because I was realizing how like extensive the chemicals were being used in the hospitals and the chemicals I was being exposed to and when I started changing out our products in the house Ben was like what are you doing and I was like I can't control the chemicals technically that I'm exposed to at work so I want to start becoming aware and start controlling the products we're using in our house and it kind of started Mm -hmm. on that basis as far as knowing what I'm exposed to at work I wanted to try and control my environment and kind of become more aware of it at home and it was just a good starting point for me in slowly adjusting things a good resource is ewg the environmental workers group ewg.org i think it is um i'll verify that and put a link in our show notes they have a resource for food and then they also have a resource for um products so they have a website called ewg skin deep <laughs> laura's laughing because i uh, i made her look at it a year or so ago when she showed me her her product she was using but you can um you can type in the products you already own and learn a little bit more about them some of them might be fine some some mainstream brands actually have cleaned up their act and their products are actually better for you and the air and environment in your home but some of them aren't so good and as you start to finish that bottle, you might want to buy something new. Yeah, that's it. It's a great starting point. Don't throw everything out, but be aware that the things you're using in your house, especially when your doors and windows are closed and you're in that environment long term, you're breathing all of that stuff as well. So it's just, it's something that could be creating an imbalance in your body and your microbiome. Yeah, and I just went simply and replaced things as I needed them to be replaced anyway. So if I was going to go out to buy something new, whether it's makeup or hair products or whatever it was, I was just making to be making sure I was being more mindful about what I was bringing to yeah. my house at that point. Because it's expensive. Like we said, we've mentioned this multiple times. It's expensive and it can be very overwhelming. So as things come up, yep. address yep. them. All right. So that is the harmful stuff. Those are the things that are the small things that are in your control that you could be being exposed to and things we recommend switching it up. So when I was reading Dr. Axe's book, Eat Dirt, um, he said something at the beginning of the book that I thought was really interesting. It said, if the problem centers around being too clean, AKA using too many antibiotics, antibacterial products, that kind of stuff, then the solution must be the opposite. So we want to just kind of dive in, tell you how to get a little dirtier, um, thrive a little better, and allow your microbiome to thrive and expose your body to a variety of things. So we've talked about food and the bad inflammatory foods. So to start with food, organic versus non-organic, the one benefit that is there is 
if you can avoid pesticides sometimes it's better to choose organic food when it's available to you and if it's at your price point and you can afford it because if you think about it pesticides are actually sterilizing your food and killing off the microbiome in the soil and the when you're consuming it, it's also affecting the microbiome in your body. So pesticides on your food are actually creating an imbalance within us. So organic food for me is important when I can and when it's available to me. Um, can I speak to that real quick? Yeah, add to that. So mm-hmm. um, there's one company, I'm going to let them remain nameless for a moment. It's basically they're kind of ruling the world right now. Um with pesticides and the reason that pesticides, the reason that we think that they're not good, even if they don't hurt your body directly, if they don't poison you, the consumer, what's happening is if you're killing the bugs on the plant, so the bugs aren't being, or the bugs aren't eating the plant. Okay. That's why pesticides are used. It's killing the bugs in your gut. Yep. So that's the whole point. It's not like, it's not this like snobby, you have to buy organic kind of mentality that we're going for if you think about it actually how it's happening it will make more sense to you so if you're killing the bugs on the plant and then you're eating that plant you are then eating some of the stuff from that plant and it's even if you wash it it's still in the soil okay so it's in the plant and it's actually killing your gut microbiome right And to add to that, before we started using that pesticide on the majority of our crops and killing off the bacteria that were on the crops, it was actually beneficial to us. I think it's why the book I'm reading right now is called Eat Dirt. It was actually beneficial to us to actually get a variety of microbiota, bacteria, from Mm -hmm. the plants in the soil as you ate it. If it wasn't perfectly washed and sterilized, you were actually increasing the variety of your microbiome by eating a variety of different foods grown in different types of soil. And right. that the pesticide coverage is just destroying all that. It's sterilizing everything. And then it's also killing off the beneficial bacteria within us as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a huge problem and it's Roundup, by the way. I just didn't <laughs> want to say the, the company that owns Roundup, Roundup I'm not yep. going to mention, but that company also made um, its sister product to Roundup and the sister product was Agent Orange. Well, yeah, it was when they didn't know what to do with Agent Orange. They actually reformulated it to start using it as pesticides on our crops. In case you don't know what Agent Orange is, Agent Orange was a um, used as biological warfare. So, Yeah, and now it's on our food. Okay, so I digress on that department, but Anyways. that is why we, we, we focus so much on um, organic, and that's why you'll hear people talk about organic versus um, standardized crops. And again, if you want to think about organic in a different way, think of 100 years ago when the name organic didn't exist because everything was organic. Okay? Right. Um, (laughs) I think it just helps simplify it. If you you want to – Because I think that I actually came from a place that I thought that organic was just just snobby. Yeah. I actually – No, for sure. parents made. Like they were like organic is just an expensive version of the normal food. And I feel like when you don't understand the true definition behind it, that's the – the bias that everyone has against organic until you really start to dive into the the deeper understanding of what it's doing within us and sorry what i would say is better even better than organic um whether it's organic or not is knowing the farmer and asking yeah. the farmer if this is possible in your if it's community, available to you. okay and i yeah. am aware that most of the actually most of our country in the united states isn't doesn't have this available but i have the ability and the privilege to know the farmers 
and yeah. talk to them. And even if they're not organic certified, I can say, hey, what do you spray in your crops? Do you spray these different things? Do you use this? Because sometimes they don't use it and they just haven't gotten certified because they don't, it's expensive and they don't feel like they want to. Right. And I'll still buy from those people. It's, if you do that and you focus on the farmers and what's in season in your own community, you actually will do the best for your microbiome because you're going to be getting a whole variety of different yeah. foods at different times of the, of the year. Yeah, seasonal is key. That's a huge part in the different vegetables you're e- eating and exposing yourself to are going to be digested differently by different bacteria. And that increases variety of your microbiome and what your microbiome is able to handle. If you're eating the same thing every day and buying the same fruits and vegetables every time you go to the grocery store, whether they're organic or not, you're going to have very stagnant levels and you might be deficient in certain good bacteria because you're not exposing yourself to a wide variety of foods. That also, I want to add to that with probiotics and fermented foods and different things that can help reinforce feed and like reestablish a healthy gut bacteria microbiome is fermented foods. Something also that used to be very common a hundred years ago, the practice of fermenting our foods was the first way to like stabilize our foods before refrigeration and different in process packaging they would ferment the foods so that they could stay on a shelf longer and it was allowing them to have a wide variety of bacteria in their daily diet we rarely get that anymore when i surveyed everybody on instagram the majority of people don't get fermented foods or a probiotic in their diet on a daily basis but I got some really interesting messages from people that don't live in America and they're like it's absolutely part of my diet every day because it's a cultural norm in a lot of different areas to eat fermented foods and it's a really strong source of good bacteria for us it is actually and the cultural norm is usually in people with longer histories so like the Asian cultures typically have that well established in their culture and it's actually really interesting to see which cultures have it and to understand their medicine and their background is <laughs> it's really interesting it's actually a fascinating yeah. cultural topic but i personally started eating sauerkraut and kimchi and things like that when i was having digestive issues because my naturopath recommended it before that it really wasn't part of my routine at all and i can see great benefit in my digestion and in my bowel movements and things like that in the times when i am eating more of it versus less of it or none of it at all and i think eating the fermented foods is even more beneficial than taking a probiotic pill which is crazy expensive anyways um on a daily basis if you can be more aware of getting the variety of the food maybe the probiotic pill on a daily basis isn't as necessary as you think agreed yeah i prefer i think that i would prefer telling or just telling all of you rather to look for a solid pill which you're still welcome to do um i would say food over pills for both prebiotic and 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 probiotic pre being what your probiotic eats what your microbiome actually consumes and how it grows would be like your vegetables and then fermented food is probably the best way in my opinion to get that growth i mean even one bite of kimchi has like trillions i was reading this the other day my mind is blown i was like i don't understand how one bite can have trillions like trillions i can't even wrap my head around that number but 
yeah. of good bacteria just hanging out, ready to help you out and help your digestion. Um, so I just saw that we are we have gone crazy deep into this topic. It's been okay. a longer episode than we planned. So I think the last solution that I wanted to talk about and make sure that everyone is aware of is the cleanliness of our environments and the sterilization of our homes and whether or not you're ever getting outside, opening the windows, breathing fresh air, going to the park, rolling going in the grass, hike. going in a hike, going camping. Is this a good time camping. for me to complete my story on hiking? I was hoping you would. Oh, that's really funny because I was like, I don't know if she remembers that I stole like, that. That's exactly two. what I was getting at because I think we've teased the story like three episodes so far. I'll try to make it a quick story. And it's really not a long story, but two no, episodes not, ago. but it's powerful. Yeah, two episodes ago I was sharing about how I was really sick um, and I had all these different GI disturbances and I was in the hospital. I was actually in the hospital for a week and getting tons of tests and was on IV antibiotics for an entire week, was NPO, meaning nothing by, by mouth for an entire week. And at the end of the week, I was ready to be discharged. And I, everyone was like, well, what are you going to do today? Because like, you're regaining your life. Everyone's so interested in like, what's your next step? <laughs> and most people are like, nothing, I'm going to go home and take it easy. And I did feel like I needed to take it easy, but... All I kept on saying was, I have to go hiking. And my mom was like, you can't go hiking. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 I have to go hiking. And I understand where she was coming from, especially like looking through her, kind of like her lenses now that I'm older. She's like, what the heck? You just got out of being sick. You've been like super ill for a whole week. You can't go hiking. Right. You've you been laying in a hospital energy. bed. <laughs> and I I had, I did have good, a good amount of energy. I remember that, but I was bent I'm going hiking. I needed to. Like I kept on, yeah. I just had this drive, like an internal drive to go hiking. And it wasn't until this past year that I understood that. And I did go hiking and I'm not going to, I mean, that was like the end of that story, but it wasn't until this year when I was listening to a podcast and then I further educated myself. I Googled it and found scholarly articles of discussing about going into the woods to reestablish your microbiome. And how important it is. And I didn't realize at the time when I had wiped it out. It was was intentional and it was beneficial and it saved my life at the time. But when I was having that drive, all I wanted to do was be in the dirt. Yeah. And you had had no educational background explaining to you at the time that after a lot of antibiotics, you need to reestablish a healthy microbiome. You had an intuitive sense to go do that naturally that was your body telling you like holy crap we have lost our entire balance all the good and bad guys have been wiped out like let's go get the good guys <laughs> yeah so i went into the i did i went into and hiked and like i remember taking took my shoes off and walked around the grass because i was just like i was like thrilled to be outside too that's so awesome um and then i went and like into the throes of eating very very clean and it wasn't necessarily because like I was told to, I think part of me was like, I knew that I needed to, I just felt like Wonder Bread wasn't going to work for me. Yeah. You knew you (laughs) needed nutrients. You knew you needed the nutrition. But I couldn't understand. I couldn't tell you why. I was never able, I wasn't educated enough at this point, even when I was in nursing school to tell you like why I needed to eat raw spinach. But But it's awesome that you, you had that intuition still and you were able to listen to it where I feel like people now probably get those urges they don't understand why and they also kind of override it and they don't do it because life kind of gets in the way 
And I think just getting back to if you have a Saturday or Sunday off and you have a little spare time, like find a local park or hiking trail that you haven't explored and just get outside, expose yourself to new areas, new surroundings, new bacteria. And it truly increases your health in more ways than we can even begin to explain. And if you could go to every, to different locations, I was, I, again, I listened, I guys, I'm such a nerd. I listened to a podcast. <laughs> we all know this now. I don't Laura. know who it was. I don't remember who it was talking, and I wish I could find the podcast. If I can, I'll, I'll send it out to you guys. But it was talking about what is the best way to really get your microbiome, like, booming. And it was, yeah. it said to travel and to get outside in the places that you travel. Yeah. So wherever you go to, whatever country it is, whether it's in our own country, to all the places that are as much untouched as possible. So in the woods and at the beaches, places that haven't been touched much. So when we went yeah. to... Um, and if well, you can like get in a, a river or waterfall with, like, with a clean water source that you know is safe, you know, like all of that, it exposes you It exposes so you to, play, to new things that you actually don't have in your system and then you get to gain that. Yeah. So yeah, so all of that is definitely, definitely true. So I think that there's some things that you guys are probably wondering at this point. How do I know, how can I test my microbiome? These are the questions I get all the time, at least. How do I test my microbiome and what pills or what, what can I do for myself? And like we were saying, eating those kind of things for probiotics is probably the best. But if you don't want to or you feel like that's not the right thing, um, you can go. And the refrigerated section at the health food store is usually has the probiotics in them. I'd say get the refrigerated ones. They're usually alive while the ones that are on the shelf are usually not alive. Mm -hmm. You were looking up ways of figuring out if they work out. I don't know if we found a good source. I don't know if I fully agree with it. Okay. The most common thing was that you could add your pro like empty up a couple probiotic pills into a glass of milk and let it sit on the counter for a few days. But I don't know. I, I want to look legit. into it more because I feel like if you just let milk sit out in any way, it'll just in. go bad and get yeah. gross anyway. So yeah, okay. we'll look into that. We'll let you guys know if we find a, a clear way to understand or if there's like an online resource of like which probiotics are best, maybe we'll try and is. decide. But and there's a few out. of them and they don't necessarily all, they don't all agree. My, yeah. the best, the absolute hands down best way of getting any of this done is that there are certain like registered dietitians, um, naturopathic doctors, regular doctors um all clinical you can send out stool as a clinical lab sample mm-hmm. and get those back you can see if you have an overgrowth of, growth of any particular and most of them aren't uh, too expensive i think most of them are like like a hundred dollars to get like a whole panel workup of information like i don't think it's extreme yeah i don't think so either and if you're having symptoms and you see your doctor usually it's covered by insurance right so if you're having symptoms and you have to know or you're having symptoms and you're like, oh shoot, I need to go see somebody about this. Usually if you're having any symptoms that would require the lab, the insurance company will cover it. And if you aren't necessarily having any like quote unquote symptoms that they will cover or you see a naturopathic doctor that isn't covered, it's still not that expensive and might help you out a lot if you're having issues. Yeah. Um, and then those, those practitioners are trained to help you resolve those issues. Yeah, because disclaimer, we talked about a lot of digestive issues, and then we talked about the solution being to amp up your microbiome and get a better balance there. But there are so many other conditions, 
causes diagnoses that might be happening within your body that might not necessarily even be correlated to your microbiome, there might be something different. So if you are having symptoms, or even, highly recommend you yeah. go to a doctor and get that For evaluated. Sure. If they can't find anything specifically wrong, then it's kind of like, do you pursue that and get a further testing of your microbiome? And do you change up your diet or do you do an elimination diet? Maybe it's just a food sensitivity thing. But if you truly are having symptoms, you need to rule out the more um, serious stuff first. Right. Yeah, I think it's, I think, I mean, I would like to know, I actually haven't done my test yet, just to see where I am and see if there's anything I can tweak. But if you have something that's ongoing or you're just curious, you're you're able to do a home service. There's like Ubiome and then there's um, there's one that starts with a V. I think it's Viome. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's like 12. There are other 12 other ones. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. They all range in different prices. You can look and see what one works best for you after you read about each one. If you're just curious, I'd suggest doing that route instead of finding somebody. Um, if you are having issues, again, seek guidance. Yeah. And figuring those out because, and before you do anything dramatic with your with your own gut, if you're having issues, you should see somebody. If you're not having issues that you're aware of, just certain tweaks that you can do to actually make your gut work better for you, uh, I think that everyone can do. There's different things that you can do at home that will help you in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the things that we would recommend. Um And obviously, as always, we are nurses delivering you information that we ourselves have learned in the past few years. And the microbiome, as Brie has said, and I think I said last episode, is pretty freaking new, but have huge, um, we are now aware, have huge, huge impacts. And the articles that are coming out to prove these impacts are massive and from large universities and, and can be recreated over and over again. So we know that the microbiome is going to be the next like focus in medicine. And maybe it hasn't really come out yet because it does take years to get from research to practice. Mm -hmm. But know that what you're doing on a day-to-day basis for yourself or against yourself is adding up. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for listening. I know that was a lot of information. Um, if you've made it this far, I just realized we never clarified what the good fats are. <laughs> we told you all the bad fats and oils to throw out and what not to use. But just really quick, if you've made it this far, we're going to give you the answer right now. Um, good fats and oils you can cook with and use in your home that are beneficial to your health. They're going to be oils such as avocado oil, coconut oil, grass-fed ghee, which is clarified butter, Um, making sure you're utilizing egg yolks and not just the egg whites. That's a healthy fat as well. Um, Did I miss any oils, Laura? Olive oil. Olive oil. If you're using making your own salad dressings at home, olive oil is highly beneficial. Look up which olive oil is, is real. Yeah, that's a whole nother conversation. But yeah, I want to give you guys that information just so you don't feel like we left you hanging with that. So that is it. That is episode, what was this, number nine. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, show notes are going to be posted on criticalconversationspodcast.com. Make sure, sure and sign up for a newsletter if you haven't already. And the ratings and reviews that you guys are leaving us are so awesome. We love reading them every week and keep them coming. Thank you so much. And we will see you next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs>